We are back again for yet another week of your favorite pro wrestling ramble. It is the Royal Ramble, and I am your host, Blaine the Brain. Welcome, everyone. Now, there's a lot to cover this week, so I'll try not to waste too much time here, but for those who haven't yet seen my one-on-one interview with Pro Wrestling's cho-cho-chosen one, the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett, it is up on my YouTube channel, which you can find under my full name, Blaine Vandergreen, or simply just search Jeff Jarrett Interview. And you know what? While you're there, feel free to subscribe to my channel. I mean, it's as simple as a click of the mouse. More of those interviews will be available in the future, and they will be YouTube exclusives. Now then, on to more pressing matters. I have three shows to review this week. The WWE just had their big one, WrestleMania Backlash, last night, and I'll get into that in a bit. I'll also be talking about the UFC 274 event from Saturday night, but first, I wanted to talk about Impact Under Siege. Actually, before I even get to that, I want to wish all the wonderful mothers out there a happy belated Mother's Day. So I wasn't planning on speaking at great length about the Impact show. Well, actually, I wasn't planning to address it at all, but I must this week because there was a lot going on. And I have to say, Impact has been having a tremendous year thus far and continued that momentum with this show. I truly appreciate the effort they have been putting forth recently in making these Impact Plus specials feel, well, special. They actually seem like events that you wouldn't normally see on television and need to pay for, so good on them for that. There were some killer matches on the show. The X Division title match was solid, as I expected it to be. They seem to be going back to the roots of the X Division and making it stand out again. I love the promo from Trey before the match, stating that he has never defeated Ace Austin one-on-one, which added to the story and drama of the match. It was a great outing for both guys. I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see the advertised match between Alex Shelley and Speedball Bailey on the main card. Perhaps that might have been bumped to the pre-show, which I did not watch, but I would have liked to see that on the main card as well. The Reina de Reina's title rematch between Taya Valkyrie and Diana Perrazzo was another explosive one. In fact, I thought it was better than their match at Rebellion, although Diana really has to stop losing. I feel like she's lost just about every big match she's had this year, and that needs to change. Even in defeat, she remains the most popular knockout in Impact and one of the top female wrestlers in the world, but every time she loses just makes it less and less of an accomplishment for those who beat her. The other match that really impressed me, which may come as a surprise to many of you, was the opener between Giselle Shaw and Madison Rain. I haven't seen much of Shaw other than her one match at the Multiverse of Matches show last month, but this may have been Madison's best match to date, and for someone who's been wrestling for over 10 years, that speaks volumes. The main event was really good as well, but I think both guys have had better matches against other people, and it wasn't at their highest level, but still pretty good. But aside from the in-ring quality, the show was also very newsworthy based on some other major happenings, including former ROH Tag Team Champions the Briscoes claiming more gold by winning the Impact Tag Team titles from Violent by Design. And following the Perrazzo-Valkyrie match, we also saw the Impact return of Mia Yim, I thought that was handled well, and it looks like that may be Deanna's next program, so at least they're doing their best to keep Deanna relevant. The downside is that facing a returning talent might mean another loss for Deanna, potentially at Slammiversary. Unless they do a triple threat for Taya's title, and Deanna wins it back, and then branches off into a singles feud with Mia. Another big return happened later in the show. 
There was an angle with Moose, who said he was going to hijack the show until Scott Demore gave him a rematch for the Impact World title, but that protest was short-lived as Sammy Callahan made his return to the company from his injury, and it appears that Sammy was also the man behind those cryptic coming soon videos, but he got his revenge on Moose for putting him on the shelf a number of months ago. I thought this was well done, but I had higher hopes for this reveal. I feel like people knew Sammy would be coming back, and to advertise his return in such a way was kind of a waste, as they could have used something like that for someone else. So moving along, Saturday was also a big UFC pay-per-view. It was UFC 274 at the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona. It was a really stacked card, but the unfortunate news broke last Friday that lightweight champ Charles Oliveira was unable to make weight in time for his title defense, and was therefore stripped of the title. The good news is that the fight was still able to proceed, but only Justin Gaethje could win the title while it was just a regular fight for Oliveira. Ultimately, I think this was the right call. The only other option was to postpone the fight, which I don't think would have been best for business, but it still was an unfortunate set of circumstances. So right now I want to run through my thoughts on the card. The welterweights took center stage in the opening bout with Randy Brown taking on Chaos Williams. It was a much more strategic fight than an explosive one, not very exciting, but a more of a chess match. Chaos scored a big knockdown in the middle of the third round, but was ultimately unable to capitalize, and when they made it back to their feet, it was Brown who started rocking Chaos with some big shots. The action picked up a bit in the latter stages of the fight, but neither guy did enough damage to put the other away, and it was Brown who ended up picking up the split decision, which was met with a chorus of boos from the audience and I don't know if it was because they didn't agree with the decision or simply just didn't like the fight. The legend returned to the Octagon up next as Shogun Hua took on Ovin St. Preux. Again, it wasn't a very exciting fight. It seemed as though OSP did a little more damage as parts of Shogun's chest and forehead were very red, and Shogun also tried to avoid danger in the final seconds of the fight, which might have lost him the decision. OSP did claim the split decision victory, but as DC pointed out, it could have gone either way. The action certainly picked up in the next fight between two former lightweight contenders, or maybe still lightweight contenders, Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler. Ferguson dominated the opening round and really started lighting up Chandler with some stiff shots, followed by a takedown, and seemed to have busted him up pretty bad. But the breather between rounds may have been what Chandler needed, as he bounced right back in the first minute of round two with a front kick right up the middle that dropped Ferguson like a ton of bricks, and Chandler earned the decisive KO victory, probably once again cementing himself as the next challenger to the lightweight throne. But believe it or not, that knockout wasn't the biggest news coming out of that fight. In his post-fight interview, Michael Chandler took it a step further and issued the challenge to Conor McGregor to face him at 170. Now that is a money fight. Even though Conor has not won a fight in over two years, he is still a huge name and I would love to see that. And the news just kept getting bigger from there as Daniel Cormier was then announced as the latest addition to the UFC Hall of Fame Class of 2022. A big congratulations to DC. Well deserved. So that led into the championship fights of the evening. The first one was for the strawweight title, which was actually a rematch from the first ever strawweight title fight between Carla Esparza and defending champion Rose Namajunas. This was an extremely disappointing and highly uneventful fight, as the announcers pointed out several times throughout. No one did anything for the first two rounds. Carla finally got a takedown in round three, which may have won her the fight. 
Rose got a takedown of her own in the final round, but it clearly wasn't enough as we have a brand new strawweight champion and the title went right back to where it started. This was such a massive letdown. But on a more positive note, the main event more than made up for the last fight. Both Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira came out swinging, and both landed some heavy shots, but in the end it was Oliveira getting the back and securing a rear naked choke for the quick tap out. It's just really unfortunate that he couldn't make weight and therefore could not win the title, but he remains the uncrowned champion in spite of that. And then, just as Michael Chandler did earlier, Oliveira also called out Conor McGregor in his post-fight interview. It's too bad that they don't do triple threat matches in the UFC. But this is a triple threat show and there are three reviews, so I'm going to get right into the final one. It was WrestleMania Backlash at the Dunkin' Donut Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Kicking things off was a rematch from WrestleMania, and this card was full of them, but this one in particular was a Mania match that was universally regarded as one of the best of that weekend. It was Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins, and the story heading to this match is that Cody no longer has the advantage of the element of surprise, and therefore Rollins could be better prepared. There's a feeling out process in the early going, but the turning point comes when Cody goes for the Cody cutter, but as he hits the ropes, Seth sneaks up from behind him and shoves him out to the floor. Cody regains the advantage with a big superplex, and the momentum swings back and forth from there. These guys were having a pretty good little match, although I do think their mania match was slightly better. There was an interesting finish where Seth hit the pedigree and was frustrated that Cody kicked out of it, so he tried to add insult to injury by delivering the Rhodes family flip-flop and fly, but before he got to the fly part, Cody caught him and countered into crossroads. Cody tried a second one, but Seth countered with a snapmare. Seth then went for an O'Connor roll and hooked the tights, but Cody reversed and he ended up beating Seth for the second month in a row by hooking the tights himself, so it looks like this one continues. Look, I don't have a problem with that because they have been having some really great matches, but I just hope that they somehow advance the story on television, because there's really been nothing to it thus far. This leads into yet another WrestleMania rematch with Bobby Lashley squaring off against the gigantic Omos, and this one kinda does have a new flavor to it as MVP, Lashley's former manager, is now in the corner of Omos. I hated the way this one was built, as Omos should have at least won the arm wrestling contest, but he couldn't even do that, so it doesn't appear that he has any momentum here. There wasn't much to this. Lashley opened up with a flurry of offense, but a distraction by MVP turned the tables. Lashley did get the hurt lock at one point, but Omos backed him into the buckles for the break. They did the classic Andre the Giant spot with Omos tied up in the ropes, which should have been a DQ as Lashley was punching Omos with the crowd chanting along, which definitely exceeded the five count. The finish came when MVP blasted Lashley with the cane behind the ref's back, leading to a double-handed chokeslam from Omos, who finally gets a win over Lashley. So I guess this feud continues. Great. The third straight WrestleMania rematch is up next, and I'm not saying that as a complaint, well, not in the case of this match anyway. It's Edge against AJ Styles, with Damian Priest barred from ringside. AJ starts on the offensive, but as he goes for the phenomenal forearm, Edge boots him off the apron, causing AJ to land awkwardly on the outside. Edge then proceeds to target AJ's shoulder, and AJ, to his credit, does a tremendous job of selling the injury throughout the duration of the match. The finish was kind of dumb. AJ finally regains the advantage as he kicks out of the spear and drills Edge with the Styles Clash, which Edge is able to kick out of. 
AJ then ascends to the top turnbuckle, but notices Damien Priest on his way to the ring. But Priest signals that he has not reached ringside yet, so technically he's not breaking any rules. Finn Balor then comes running out, and he and Priest fight all the way into the ring and then roll out to the floor. As the ref is distracted, a masked figure emerges from out of nowhere, grabs AJ by the hand, and then drops his arm across the top rope allowing Edge to lock in the crossface and AJ passes out, giving Edge the technical submission. The masked person then climbs into the ring and kneels before Edge. They then rise up and remove the mask to reveal Rhea Ripley with a new look. She's dyed her previously blonde hair black, which totally works for her. I just wonder where this is now headed. Match number 4 was also WrestleMania rematch number 4 featuring Charlotte Flair defending the SmackDown women's title against Rowdy Ronda Rousey, and this time under I Quit rules. I was begging and I was praying that this match would be much better than their WrestleMania botch fest, and I have to say that it didn't disappoint in that regard. I was kind of surprised that it didn't main event the show, especially on Mother's Day as Ronda is a new mother, but they did kind of make up for the terrible Mania performance, so it was a pleasant surprise. They pulled out all stops in this one, except for the tables that fans demanded throughout the match, but were never used. There was a spot where Ronda chased Charlotte up the ramp with a kendo stick, but Charlotte came back out through Gorilla carrying two kendo sticks and ended up destroying Ronda's back with her two sticks. They fought into the crowd and Charlotte positioned Ronda between a railing and applied a chin lock, but Ronda was able to fight free. Back at ringside, Charlotte executed a nasty-looking powerbomb into the security wall. Ronda fought back by hanging Charlotte upside down in the corner on the outside and then applied the armbar, but Charlotte ended up falling from her position and both women just kind of tumbled out to the floor to break the hold. The finish came where Charlotte locked on the figure 8, which Ronda was able to use a chair to fight her way out of. Charlotte quickly regained the advantage and sarcastically wished Ronda a happy Mother's Day, only for Ronda to pull Charlotte's arm through the hole of the chair and use the chair to apply yet another armbar, which finally forced Charlotte to utter the words, I quit, and we have a new SmackDown Women's Champion. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here, because there aren't a lot of heels over on SmackDown for Ronda to face, so I can totally picture a rematch between these two inside Hell in a Cell next month. The first non-WrestleMania rematch was up next, but you know what? If they skipped it, they'd get no complaints out of me. Happy Corbin took on his former protege, Madcap Moss. I absolutely despise everything about this match, this feud, and these characters. It went way longer than it should have, and Moss won out of nowhere with a sunset flip, which hasn't been used to win a match since the 90s. What sucks the most is that this program will likely continue. Total go-away heat for both of these guys. Closing out the show was the big six-man tag featuring the Bloodline team of Roman Reigns and the Usos taking on Drew McIntyre and RK-Bro. It was originally set to be a title unification bout for the tag belts. I have no idea why it was changed, but regardless, this is what we're left with. Before the match, though, we got a backstage update on Charlotte Flair from Kayla Braxton, who was standing outside the trainer's room and said that Charlotte had torn the radius in her arm. So from there, we finally get into the main event. The basic story here was building to the huge showdown between Reigns and McIntyre, or at least it was in the early going, but there were about three or four other stories happening at the same time. They eventually did get to Drew and Roman, and Drew tossed him around a bit, and then got the hot tag to Orton, who the crowd seemed to be more into than McIntyre. The place nearly came unglued for Randy, which led to an RKO party all around. 
Later in the match, Roman took Drew out with a Uranagi through the announce table. And then there was a nice sequence between Jey Uso and Riddle in the ring. But as Riddle finally got the advantage, Reigns attacked from out of nowhere with a spear for the win. Not what I expected, but I guess this continues the pattern of Roman Reigns being basically untouchable. And at least he pinned the weakest link on the team, while the other two guys remain possible contenders. They really couldn't just give Drew a win here, could they? I mean, it was non-title after all. I guess we'll see how it plays out on TV. But as for now, that's a wrap. I will be back in my regular Sunday afternoon time slot next week, chatting all about the upcoming shows and any other major breaking news. In the meantime, I'll leave you with an ABC. ya.